The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, uh, it's good to be back with you, and I hope that your summer is going well. This summer, if you've been around Ecclesia, uh, if you've been in and out either here or, or downtown, you know that we're taking some time to look at some of our favorite movies, or at least you're having to sit through me and Chris talk about some of our favorite movies. And so what that means is that uh, we have a little bit of a different rhythm, but one of the things I like about movies, just generally, is that I'm really into storytelling, and I'm fascinated by how stories are told. And when you sit around with your family and friends, family reunions or holidays, what people do, generally, is tell stories. And so one of the points that I try to get across to people all the time, especially folks who are looking to become communicators, is that uh, you can get up and say, these are my three points, my four points, my five points, but no one actually lives that way. We live by stories. When we're together and we want to communicate something that's happened in our lives, something meaningful that's happened with us, uh, we don't tell people the point. You never walk out of a movie theater and say, oh, I got the point. We live by stories. And I've mentioned before, one of my favorite teachers of stories is a man named Robert McKee. And he wrote this book that no one ever needs to buy. It's about this thick, and it's really long um, and really intense, but it's all about story. And he puts on these conferences all across the United States, and people pay thousands of dollars to sit and listen to him talk about how to tell good stories. And he says that stories have a kind of a rhythm, but they all begin the same way. This is what Robert McKee says in his book, Story. He says, an event comes along in life, which we call an inciting incident, either by choice, accident, or both. Life is thrown out of balance. That imbalance arouses in the protagonist a desire to put life back on an even keel. To do that, they conceive of something that they need, an object of desire, so to speak, that they would feel, that they feel would restore life's balance. That's what causes us to think feel, and change an inciting incident. So uh, my oldest daughter loves to write stories, and so we'll sit down and conceive of stories together. And she will go on these long things about what happens to somebody, and then this happens, and that happens, and I tell her, honey, you're brilliant. That's not a story. This is, where, this is why I win all the Father of the Year awards. Because <laughs> for a story to happen, uh, you have to have a likable character, they have to want something, and they have to have an obstacle to overcome. So you have to have a likable character, they have to want something, and they have to have an obstacle to overcome. And what this obstacle usually is, is an inciting incident where life goes out of balance. And all you have to do is live long enough, and you will have your own inciting incident that throws your life out of balance. Uh, maybe it's the death of a loved one, a financial reversal, you lose a job. But something happens in the life of the protagonist where they can't go back, things can never be the same, and so they have to do something. There's something that they want that they can't get. And so that brings us to one of the most theologically significant movies ever made, Bruce Almighty. Because Bruce has an inciting incident 
that he can never go back. He wants something that he has to overcome to get it. And now you need to know this about stories. When you're in a story, the hero of the story doesn't have to overcome the obstacle to make it an interesting story. They just have to try. Right, this is why Rocky, which most people forget because there have been so many bad Rocky movies, everyone forgets that the, Rocky, the first one, won the Academy Award for Best Picture. He doesn't overcome the obstacle, but he tries. And so what it is for Bruce is that he becomes angry with God. And he becomes angry with God because there was a job that he thought he should get, and he didn't get it. And I want to ask you, have you ever been angry with God? Like really angry? And if we weren't in a worship service right now and you were being honest with people that you felt like you could really trust, would you confess that you've been angry with God? Maybe some of us have been angry with God for a really long time. And we just don't feel like we could say it. When we were living in California, one of our church leaders had a daughter whose husband died when she was about 34 or 35, leaving her um, widowed, and they had a young son. And she responded to that, I think, the way a lot of us would respond. It's not like she decided that God didn't exist or that she wasn't loved by God or that her life was terrible. She was just angry about it because none of us, envision life when we start out at the point of 34 or 35, having to raise a child by ourselves and being a widow or a widower. She was angry with God. And I remember her father telling her that she should never be angry with God. And it was almost like there was something wrong with her. And many of us believe this. Many of us actually believe that to be spiritual people, to be the kind of people that God intends for us to be, that we should never be angry with God. But the sad the sad reality about that is that that's just not true. And when I hear people, and I was raised in a church where people talked about, oh, you shouldn't be angry with God, or at least you shouldn't express any emotion about anger with God. And I just wanted to pull those people aside and say, have you read the Bible? Because there are a lot of people there in the Bible who are angry with God, and not just a little bit angry. And God seems to be able to, to handle it. So one of my favorites is uh, from Psalm 88. And this is a man who is angry with God. Psalm 88 begins this way. It says, O eternal one, O true God, my Savior, I cry out to you all the time under the sun and the moon. Let, me, let my voice reach you. Please listen to my prayer. My soul is deeply troubled and my heart can't bear the weight of this sorrow. I feel so close to death. I'm like the poor and helpless who die alone, left for dead, as good as the unknowable sea of souls lying under our feet, forsaken by him and cut off from his hand, abandoned among the dead who rest in their graves, and you have sent me to be forgotten with them in the lowest pits of the earth, in the darkest canyons of the ocean. And it goes on like that for verse after verse after verse. Where are you, God? I am mad about this. And maybe you're at a place today where you've, you've tried to put it aside or cover it up to act like it's not there. But you've experienced anger with God. 
And maybe even right now, some of us are angry with God. Well, that's what happens to Bruce and Bruce Almighty. He's angry with God because he has lost this job. And Bruce is a reporter in the city of Buffalo, and he finds out that he lost his job to become the anchor of the the news there, but he finds out while he's on television live. And so he goes back to the TV station, and he starts railing against his boss. He starts making a scene and throwing a fit, and it does so badly that that he's, he's fired. And he's kicked out of the building, and you see him walking out of the building with a box with all of his belongings. And as he's leaving the building, he sees there are a bunch of teenagers harassing a homeless man across the street. And he does what I would hope many of us would think that we would want to do when we see something like that, uh, that we would want to come to the homeless man's aid. But for all of Bruce's troubles, he's beaten up. And he goes home and he has a conversation with his girlfriend, who is in this movie appropriately named Grace. And she doesn't seem to understand. So Bruce decides that he's going to talk to God about it. But Bruce is going to talk to God about it angry. And so when we first see him, he's driving around the city, trying to pray to God, trying to figure out what to do with his anger. Okay, God, you want me to talk to you? Talk back. Tell me what's going on. What should I do? Give me a signal. I need your guidance, Lord. Please send me a sign. What's this joker doing now? Okay. All right. I'll try it your way. All right. Lord, I need a miracle. I'm desperate. I need your help, Lord. Please reach into my life. Uh, What the Well, that's, that's some raging at God. Kind of straight from prayer to raging at God, which I don't know about you, but I've done. But there is, for many people, just a discomfort about talking to God. So Tom Shadiak, who directed Bruce Almighty, is a Christian. He's Catholic, 
uh, which is why in all the prayer scenes that, that Bruce has the rosary there. And he was asked, he says, what, what, is, what about all of this raging at God? Doesn't that seem kind of blasphemous? What do you have to say about that? And this is what Shadiac said. He says, well, I answer with Elijah, Jonah, and Job. And I answer it with my understanding of what God seeks with all of us, which is relationship. Relationships demand honesty. And while I don't think we're ever to live in our anger and our rage, to express it is to express a step along the journey. Bruce raged at God, and a few weeks later, he got a chance to see how silly and self-indulgent that was. But had he not raged, had he not been honest, who knows whether he could have taken the steps that he did. And I think one of the things that the Psalms gives us, this unvarnished look at people's relationship with God, that so much of the scripture is a God talking to people, God instructing people, but the Psalms just say, here it is. These are the songs that we sing to God, and this is what our experience is like. And part of that, part of the blueprint for that isn't just praise or supplication or petition to God, but telling God in all honesty how we feel about where we are in life at this very moment. And God seems to be able to handle it. That some of us, I think, People over time maybe even have had very small notions of God that almost like we get so offended when people are angry and rage at us that we think God would get so offended when people get angry and rage at us. That, that we get mad when our children get mad with us and we think that they have no right to. That maybe we think God would get mad when his children rage at him. But the Bible, the, the testimony of the scriptures don't respond that way. That God really is able to handle your emotions. And the reason that's important is because relationships, all relationships, demand honesty. And the biggest problem in most of the relationships that I see are people who refuse to be honest with the other people in their relationship. And it's not because we're evil people. It's because we're trying to be good people. That, that we don't actually say, this is what bothers me about our relationship. This is what I want to be changed. And this is going to sound incredibly harsh. And I don't mean it to. One of my good friends, his name is Hal. He's written several books. Uh, that have become bestsellers, scream-free parenting and scream-free marriage, and he works now almost exclusively with young men, and this is what he asked them in their counseling sessions. He says, what, a, what would be different about your life if you weren't scared to death of your wife? And it works the other way, too. I don't do a lot of weddings every year. I try to do just like one a quarter. And to do, for me to perform your wedding, I, I do your premarital counseling and all of that. And when I sit with a couple that's about to get married, uh, one of the things, the first things I tell them is that you're not here to talk to me. You're here to talk to each other. And that's because I know that after 20 years of visiting and sitting with couples, that we struggle to be honest. And honesty leads to clarity in relationships. And without clarity, every relationship 
will eventually dissolve into dysfunction. And one of the best things that most of us could do in the next season of our life is to decide which relationships in our life is the most crucial to us and to choose to just be honest. And that's what launches Bruce's relationship with God. That as angry as he is, as upset as he is, when he begins to talk to God, he is angry, but he is talking to God. So, God shows up and he tells Bruce, okay, you think that I should be fired? That you could do it better than me? Which many of us, if we were being honest, would say that we think that about God all the time. That the world would be a whole lot different, God, if I ran things. So God says, okay, you think you can do it better than me. I'm going to give you all the powers, all of my powers, but just in the city of Buffalo. You can do whatever you want. You have all the powers of God, except you can't mess with free will. People still have to have their free will. And so Bruce does what many of us would do if we were given all the powers of God. He makes his own life great. Like he gets the job that he really wanted. Um, he performs his own miracles. He starts driving the car of his dreams. He makes some uh, personal kind of enhancements to his girlfriend. He does a bunch of tricks. He splits his soup like the Red Sea. And things are great for Bruce. Until one night, he and Grace are out having dinner together. And Bruce begins to hear all the prayers of the city. And they're just coming so fast, and all they can do is hear the voices, everyone praying all the time. And he just can't stand it anymore, so he leaves the restaurant and goes home. He's got to figure out a way to handle all of these prayers. What's he going to do with them? And so he decides, I'll just put them all in filing cabinets, and just boom, 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 filing cabinets all in his living room. But they're too big. There are too many of them. He can't do anything that way. So he figures, I'll just put them all on Post-it notes. His house fills up with Post-it notes. Then he makes a very 20th century, 21st century move. He says, I'll handle them all on email. Just download them all to email. And Bruce sits down to start to answer all of the prayers of the city. And his fingers are going lightning fast because he's got all the powers of God. But as soon as he answers a prayer, more and more come in. And he doesn't want to listen to all these prayers. He wants to make his own life good because that's what we would all do if we were God. And so he just says yes to all of them which is exactly what you think you want when you pray. Just say yes. And at the beginning, life is good. One lady loses 47 pounds on the Krispy Kreme diet. People are having all of their dreams come true. And one night when Bruce is reporting the news, the city is in the middle of a riot. Buildings are being burned down. People are getting beaten up in the street. And why? Because Bruce answered all their prayers, yes. Because what he didn't think about is the same thing that many of us don't think about. That having our prayers answered yes might not make for a better world. I knew the girl I wanted to marry when I was in the eighth grade. She was a senior. It was unlikely. 
but I prayed anyway. And hadn't that been the experience of your life? That's so many things that if God had answered yes, your life would be worse. Because if a million people pray over time that it rain, you get terrible flooding. And if a million people over time pray that it not rain, you get a terrible drought. If everyone who plays the lottery wins the lottery, everyone gets back the $1 that they use to buy their lottery ticket. That if Bruce gets his job, then someone else is disappointed and they don't get it. And so it seems that on this side of heaven, not even God can make us all happy at the same time. And so Bruce has a scheduled meeting with God, and he's trying to figure out what's so bad about having your prayers answered yes. God, are you here? I need your help! Clap on! Clap on! Clap on! Clap on! Clap on! Figures! Well, hello there, Bruce Almighty. <laughs> Not as easy as it looks, is it, son? This God business. They're all out of control. It's mayhem. I, I don't know what to do. Well, you're right on time. Seven o'clock. Seventh at seven. All righty then. There we are. It's good. It's good. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. No matter how filthy something gets, you can always clean it right up. There were so many. I just gave them all what they wanted. Yeah. But since when does anyone have a clue about what they want? So do I do. Parting your soup is not a miracle, Bruce. It's a magic trick. A single mom who's working two jobs and still finds time to take her kid to soccer practice, that's a miracle. A teenager who says no to drugs and yes to an education, that's a miracle. People want me to do everything for them when what they don't realize is they have the power. You want to see a miracle, son? Be the miracle. Wait, are you leaving? Yeah, I figure you can handle things now. But what if I need you? What if I have questions? <laughs> That's your problem, Bruce. That's everybody's problem. You keep looking up. Since when does anybody have a clue about what they want? I don't know about you. 
But I do know that I've lived just long enough that when I want something, to always question it. Because I got a pretty strong track record of wanting the wrong things. This is probably why James, the brother of Jesus, writes to the church. He says, you know, sometimes, sometimes you don't get what you want because you ask for the wrong things or you ask wrongly. And that gives me great comfort to know that I'm not the only person in the world who ask for the wrong things, who wants the wrong things, and that I'm not big enough, smart enough, spiritual enough to know what the better things for me to have are. Some of the, some of the best moments in this movie aren't actually in the movie because they're all about not getting what you want. So, so in order to see those scenes, you'd have to go and get the DVD and watch all the extra scenes but I really wish they were there. Because one scene is a young boy in a gym class having to do what a lot of us used to have to do in gym class, which is climb the rope. And, but he's young and he's overweight, he's a little chubby kid, and he just can't make it up the rope. And he, he's praying to God because all of his friends are mocking him and making fun of him. And he's just praying to God that he'll be able to do that. And the yes answer comes from Bruce and he shoots up the, he shoots up the rope. And in another scene, there's a woman who is a lonely, and she's lonely, and she's going through her mind about everything that she needs to take care of, but she doesn't have any money, and she's destitute, and she's walking through the grocery store trying to figure out what she can afford and what she can't afford, and she's praying to God that she would have some money, that some money would come her way, and the yes answer comes, and she slips in the aisle at the grocery store, and she's quickly attended to by an attorney. And then God shows Bruce this boy, just a couple of days later, and he's become the bully and he's beating up his classmates. And he explains to him, this boy was supposed to become a world-renowned poet and he was going to use all of his childhood pain to inform his work and he was going to inspire millions of people. And instead, he becomes a professional wrestler. And he shows Bruce the woman now sitting at home in this enormous house in this huge bed completely by herself and abandoned and explains to her that being broke, that being destitute was the last thing that she needed to call her sister and to mend their relationship so she wouldn't spend the rest of her life and die alone. And he tells Bruce, to paint a picture this beautiful, you sometimes have to use dark colors. And I know that that's not an instinct for us. That we really believe that a God who loves us would give us the things that we love. But God's ultimate aim is not for us to become happy. God's ultimate aim is for us to become the women and men that he created us to become. And to paint a picture this beautiful, you sometimes have to use dark colors. Well, Tom Shadiak was asked about this scene and particularly the last part of the scene where God 
tells Bruce that the real trouble is that he keeps looking up. And this is what Shadiac says. He says, yeah, here comes the big controversy. The word in that sentence is that you keep looking up. It's not that you look up. I think looking up is essential because I believe it's a reality. It's in your, D- your blood, your DNA, and it's in mine. However, to keep looking up means that we expect God to do everything for us. There's a story about a nun who went to God and asked, why, God, don't you do something about the poor and the sick? And God said, I did. I made you. Jesus went up, leaving us as his hands, his feet, his heart, an expression of love. And this is why I think this is more, one of the more powerful and profound images of prayer in the world. Because throughout the movie, Bruce Almighty, God appears to Bruce uh, wearing a number of different clothes, doing different things. He, he first appears to Bruce wearing all white, representing purity. And then later, he shows up to Bruce, and he is dressed as an electrician, someone who brings power and light. And in this scene, he meets Bruce dressed up like a janitor, someone who cleans up messes. And as they talk about prayer, God is sweeping the floor. And Bruce joins him in sweeping the floor. And God's not just sweeping the floor. God is sweeping the floor with Bruce. And they're not just sweeping the floor together. They're sweeping the floor in sync. And I wonder if this isn't some of what prayer is. To get our lives in sync with what God is doing. And that's not to say that there's not a role and a place for prayer, a petition, and asking God for things, and prayer of praise. But to get your life in line with what God is already doing. So maybe the next time that you're talking with someone and they're sharing with you some illness or some, someone who's hurt or in the hospital in their family, and you say, well, I'll pray for you. Or maybe those prayers are to prompt you to pick up the phone or go to their house or go to the hospital and join them in the healing that God is already doing. Or maybe when you know that someone is struggling financially and they don't have a job or they've been out of work for a long time, and you say, well, I'll pray for you. The prayer is to join God in meeting that need to do what God is already doing, to get in sync with who God is. Because there there are two kind of theological words that people don't talk about a whole lot. One of them is called donatism, which is this idea that God's just off doing his own thing and human beings have to do everything. And the other is docetism, where... uh, uh, God does everything, and humans just sort of sit around twiddling their thumb, waiting for God to do something, but nothing in the scriptures ever works that way. The point of prayer is to ask what God is up to in the world, and then to live as if you expected God to answer that prayer. It's getting in sync with God. To pray and live as if God is going to answer that prayer. But while Bruce doesn't have um, his arms quite around everything yet, he's still pretty selfish and self-centered, and it causes this breakdown in his relationship with grace. And they break up and go their, second, their separate ways, and it's at this moment when Bruce, who has all the powers of God, loses everything that he cares about. 
that he finally decides to surrender his life, and he has this final encounter with God. You win. I'm done. Please. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be God. I want you to decide what's right for me. I surrender to your will! can't kneel down in the middle of a highway and live to talk about it, son. But why? Why now? Bruce, you have the divine spark. You have the gift for bringing joy and laughter to the world. I know. I created you. Quit bragging. <laughs> See, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's the spark. I want you to pray, son. Go ahead. Use them. Um, Lord, feed the hungry and bring peace to all of mankind. How's that? Great. If you want to be Miss America. Uh. Now, come on. What do you really care about? Grace. Grace. You want it back? No. I want her to be happy. No matter what that means. She deserved from me. I want her to meet someone. Who'll see her always. As I do now. Through your eyes. Now that's a prayer. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm gonna get right on it. That didn't feel very good. Got a rhythm. I think it's important that at the end of prayer, we come to the end of ourselves. And that Bruce, with all the powers of God, finally gets to a place where the thing that he wants 
is for someone else, even if he has to suffer loss himself. Tom Shadiak was asked, he says, it seems like God goes through an awful lot of trouble to teach one man how to pray. How did he teach you how to pray? And Shadiak says, well, he went to an awful lot of trouble. I can tell you that. I've been the one on the ground struggling, asking God, why don't you answer this prayer? I couldn't get work 10 years ago. I couldn't get arrested. I remember I had an opportunity to direct an episode of the show, She's the Sheriff. And I thought for sure it was going to happen, but it didn't. I was screaming, why, why, why? Of course, in hindsight, I can see why. I was learning to die to my own way and to embrace the divine way. I think God goes to an awful lot of trouble with most of us. Well, I like this movie a lot. I think it has a lot to say about prayer and talking to God. And underneath all of that prayer and talking to God, I think it reveals to us the two dominant ways that most people in our culture see God. And the first dominant way that many people see God is how Bruce sees God at the beginning, that God is just a chess master. And that that the board is out there and God moves the pieces and he knows where everything's supposed to go. And so you don't have a whole lot of control. God's just doing it all. Or maybe a better way to think about it is God is sort of a puppet master. And we're all just kind of wired up and we're just dancing to God's tune. But but that that alleviates a whole lot of responsibility from us. And then we can get mad at God for anything that happens, even when we make poor decisions or that we do things that are unwise. But a lot of us, a lot of people that you've known over the course of your life, this is how they fundamentally see God. This is why they become angry with God and they stay angry with God. Because God is the chess master and they don't have any control. But that's not fundamentally how the scriptures see God. The second way that's very popular in our culture, is that God is just sort of the divine butler. God is Santa Claus. That your your, your prayers, what they do, is they get God to act on your behalf to give you something that you want. And there are large swaths, even in the Christian community, of people who really want, who really believe that God is the divine butler. That if you just give enough money or you act right or you have enough faith, that God's going to give you all of the things that you want. That God's going to increase your territory. That God's going to give you a bigger kingdom and a bigger platform. That God is the one who does the things on your behalf. But when you read the scriptures... That's not how God behaves. Fundamentally, when you read the Bible, the way that God behaves, the way that he relates to us, is God as friend. And from the beginning of the story of God's interaction with the Hebrews through the life of Jesus up until today, That God has called himself your friend. So the three major world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all share one character in common. His name's Abraham. And I just want to show you from three scriptures, all out of context, how God relates to Abraham. The first is from 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles says this, 
Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of your friend, Abraham? The next one's from Isaiah 44. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of my friend, of Abraham, my friend. And John 2. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. And that's not just about Abraham. This is Jesus himself looks at his disciples and he says that no longer are you to be servants. No longer are you to be slaves. But you are to be friends. And as Jesus makes his way to the cross, he instructs his followers that no love no greater love hath any man than to lay down his life for his friends. So maybe you're in a place this morning that for you, God has been some distant puppet master. Maybe God's a divine butler and you just. Don't understand why God just doesn't bring you what you want and give you what you want. But this whole time, from the opening pages of Scripture, up through your life, God has issued you an invitation to be God's friend. And it's for this reason that Jesus Christ on the night that he was betrayed, took bread and breaking it, said, this is my body, broken for you. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the wine and pouring the cup, said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. And whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The invitation for you this morning is to lay down all of the notions about God that keep you distant or fearful or angry or removed and trust in this simple fact that is littered all throughout Scripture that God wants to be your friend. Let me pray for you. God, you are our creator and savior, and it is with awe that we acknowledge that the one who created the world and who gives us our very next breath is also our friend who has invited us into a life of love and connection, of sharing, of accountability and wholeness. And so would you help us receive that this morning, that you are our friend who walks with us, 
who is always near and who is constantly speaking. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.